Melody Griffin, your team's amazing. Was anybody besides Frida dancing during that song? I saw Frida get, oh my goodness, that was amazing. Listen, if we haven't met, my name is Bryce Holdman, and um, I'm a very energetic individual. If you haven't been able to tell, uh, I was talking to someone before this service, and uh, he told me, listen, if at any point during the message you just can't contain yourself any longer on stage, run through the aisles. Do it. It's okay. It's acceptable on New Year's Day out of all days. Yes, thank you. I'll do it. Praise God. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, listen, I'm excited to be here. This is one of my favorite days of the year. I usually say that about every, every time I get to preach. Um, but I, I love being here. I love this room. Uh, Christmas, who was here for Christmas Eve services at either 7 or 11 or 1 o'clock here in the room? It was packed. Saw over 5,000 people here that day. But I was sitting right over here in one of these pews during our 7 o'clock service right here in this room. And I don't know what hit me, but the Holy Spirit started to help me reflect. As I looked across the room, as I even do now, I reflected on all the relationships that I've been able to build with so many of you, many watching online here today. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. I'm excited to continue building those into this new year. I believe 2023, as Pastor Jeff said, is a year where the best is truly yet to come. Um, I also wanted to say just before we jump in, Pastor Jeff Kersey is the greatest leader I've ever seen um, in my entire life. Can we celebrate him? He's had a lot on his shoulders recently, and um, far beyond just we as the staff, but you as the congregation have helped him immensely. I know that. He said many times he's felt so much peace over the last few months, but he's going to preach the greatest sermon of his life next weekend, and so I'd invite you to be here for that. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be great right from Scripture. It's going to be awesome as he casts vision for our church going forward. Uh, Pastor Trevor's preaching in the other room, and he and I were trying to pray and discern through what do we talk about Today, You know, there's one route we can go, and it's a very common route, and that is a new year, new me type of uh, sermon, where we talk about 2023, what's the year going to hold, and we pull some things from Scripture. But we actually decided to take a different route. Today, I want us to spend a little bit of time doing what I did on Christmas Eve, and maybe you've already done as the year has come to a close, and that's reflect. Maybe a different way to say it would be we remember. We remember all that God has done in the past year. We remember how to do things like celebrate, but also grieve and finally remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. I want to give you today a reminder to remember, if you're taking notes. I want to tell you what our scripture is today. You're going to see a lot of scripture. I'm not sure if you can see my Bible, but I have more notes than I can count in this thing. So chances are I'll go to the wrong one from time to time, but we will get there together. Praise God. This is the first one we're starting off with today. It's from the story of Moses. Maybe you've heard this story before where God is doing as he does with many individuals that are servants of his in the Bible and he talks with them. In this case, he calls them to do incredible things to build his kingdom. In the story of Moses, as we will see developed even through this message, it starts off truly with this one verse. It comes from Exodus chapter three. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. It's one verse, it's verse six. Chapter three, Verse 6. You see, God is about to give Moses his call to go and bring the Israelites out of captivity, to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at the time, and tell him some things he's not going to like to hear. It's a weighty call that he's about to give to Moses, but prior to telling Moses anything else, he reminds Moses of who he is. Here's what he says I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The powerful thing about this reminder from God to Moses and to us today 
is that before God has called Moses to do anything else, the first thing, the first priority in God's mind is I have to remind my people that I'm still going to be faithful to them. I have to remind my people of where they've been, where people before them have been, where I have brought your people through the Red Sea that's about to become a thing through the leadership of Moses. I am going to remind my people that I'm still here and I'm still faithful. That's the reminder I think God wants to give us today. So I want to pray for us as we jump in. Father, thank you that you are gracious enough to us to give us reminder after reminder after reminder of where we've been. I pray that during this time, these few brief moments that we have together, you would expound your word in such a way so that we can understand it, we can comprehend it, and ultimately we can praise you as a result. We are believing that truly the best is yet to come in each of our lives and stories that you are continuing to write. We pray that today, regardless of what chapter we're in, we would praise you as our heavenly father and believe that you are exactly who you say you are, and you'll be faithful even when we're not. Father, we give you the honor, praise, and glory in advance in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. As I said, we're going to bounce around a scripture uh, a few different times today in the Old and New Testaments alike. But I want to start off with point number one today. If you're taking notes, I want to make it really easy for you. The first thing that we have to remember when it comes to looking back even on the last 365 days is we have to remember to celebrate. We have to remember to celebrate the highlights the good things, the things that we simply just cannot forget. In the book of Isaiah, there's a lot that God says through the prophet Isaiah. But one thing that's extremely powerful that he says has actually already been referenced by Pastor Jeff this morning, and it's from Isaiah 43. You see, in Isaiah 43, God says something along the lines of, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He's talking about what's to come in the future. But before he gets to the future discussion, that he has through Isaiah, here's what he says in verses 16 and 17. He first says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. Talking about the Red Sea, the story of Moses. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering Candlewick. You see, God continues throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments alike, to remind his people, just so you are aware, just so you know, just so I can remind you for a moment, this is who I am. I'm a God who will call you out of one place into another place because that's the power that I have. You can't knock on the door your own and kick down the door yourself to get to where you're going. God wants to take you there. He references the story of Moses. If you've never heard this story, it is mind-blowing. The Red Sea, it's still there today. It's in one piece. The water is all in one piece, just like Lake Murray is. However, there comes a point where God, as he once said to Moses, leads his people out of Egypt, captivity and slavery. And in doing so, he parts the Red Sea in two so that the Israelites can go through, probably run through, on dry ground. And as the Egyptians pursue them, trying to get them back into slavery, the waters collapse. That's the kind of God that we still serve today. That's the kind of God that was still faithful and wants to continue reminding his people of such faithfulness. You see, I believe that God is constantly in the business of pointing people back to him. But more specifically, I think he wants people to be reminded of what he's done for them in the past. God wanted to initially in Exodus remind Moses of these three lives, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you remember their stories, Moses? The answer would have been yes. 
and how faithful I was to deliver on my promise. I want to walk you through what I'm talking about. In those three lives, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, maybe you've heard some of these stories before, but it all starts with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, I, I, I remember that in undergrad, when I was at CIU, I took a class that essentially traced the red line of redemption, if you will, culminating in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, uh, all throughout Scripture. And at the beginning of that class, I'll never forget my uh, professor making a really crazy statement. Blew my mind, and frankly, I didn't believe him until I looked a little deeper. He said, if I were to take the Bible and I were to draw a line for you between this part of the Bible that's kind of all the same and this part of the Bible that's kind of all the same, I wouldn't do it in between the Old and New Testaments. Now, all of us students were very shocked about to stand up. Heretic, that's not right. There's no way. Instead, he said, I would draw it between the end of Genesis 11 and the beginning of Genesis 12. It was intriguing. And it all came down to this promise. You see, this promise that I'm about to read for you is given to Abraham from God, but it's the key promise that is shown all throughout the rest of Scripture, even into today. And here's what God says to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. You see here, God's making a promise that will one day come to fruition. It's the promised land that he's talking about. Maybe you've heard that story before. How in scripture, God said, this land over here that you're not yet living in, one day it will be yours. It originates right here with Abraham. God is saying that from your lineage, Abraham, will come someone, Jesus Christ. If you look at the New Testament lineage of Jesus Christ in the books of Matthew and the book of Luke as well, you'll see the name Abraham is listed because Abraham is a key role player in the faith journey that even we are on today. It all starts with Abraham and essentially what God's saying to Abraham is go to the land. And so Abraham obeys But then comes Isaac. Through a lot of prayer and petitioning with God, God gives Sarah and Abraham a son, Isaac. And God continues to wire this promise into every generation after Abraham. Here's what he says to Isaac just a few chapters later in uh, in, in, in chapter 26. Chapter 26, if I can find it, verse 3. He says, live here to Isaac as a foreigner in this land. And I will be with you And bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. And so, essentially, what God is saying to Isaac is, Your father went to the land, but now I want you and your people to live in this land, but as a foreigner. You see, the Israelites, they are getting closer and closer to where God is calling them, but they're not yet residents. They're getting closer and closer to the thing they feel God leading them towards, but they're not there yet. And I just wonder that if maybe at the conclusion of 2022 that we just finished, God began to stir something new in you that you're really, really excited about to pursue now in this new year, but you're not there yet. God has planted something, but he's also a God who grows it at a sometimes slower pace than maybe we would want him to. So the question that we have to wrestle with is, is a glimpse good enough? Is just a glimpse of where I'm going 
good enough for me to actually go, for me to actually follow Jesus into this new year, for me to actually go and do what he's called me to do. I remember when I was in college, uh, Newberry College at first. I didn't start off at CIU. I spent one semester at Newberry. And um, it was an interesting sequence of events. Two days in. Two days in, I already knew I wanted to leave. It, uh, it, it wasn't the most fun environment, you know. A little bit different than I thought it would be. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget a phone call that I got. I was sitting in my car. I was praying a little bit, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to get through this whole semester, even though I wanted to be somewhere else, you know. And um, this phone call was from my admissions counselor at CIU. You see, I committed to the soccer team there, and then I last minute said, no, I'm going to go play at Newberry instead. And so she called me, and she said, um, just want to check in on you, see how things were going, uh, see how the move-in was. And I was honest with her. I said, you know, I actually have plans to come to your school pretty soon. Um, I'm not really enjoying it here as of now. And I remember what she said to me. I'll never forget it. She said, well, believe it or not, we actually have a room. That's why I called you. You, you can pack up everything right now and, and leave if you want. And I was tempted, really, really tempted to go. But I didn't. I had a conversation with my mom just after that. And she said, you remember you made a commitment, right? You remember you spent a lot of time in prayer, right? And you felt like God, for whatever reason, was leading you here, right? And the answer was yes to all those questions. And so I stayed just for that one semester. We saw three to four individuals out of a non-Christian soccer team other than myself commit their lives to Christ. We saw a Bible study started on the team that only me and my coach attended for the first like five weeks. We got pastors involved in the local community. All that's still in existence today. All because of one semester. I don't say any of that so you'll be like, oh my gosh, Bryce is amazing. That's not true. I say that to say this. We have to be people who are willing to sow seeds that will produce fruit even in the future. That we might not even be the people that get to see the promised land. We might not be the people who get to enter in. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, none of them got to truly experience the promised land as others after them did. But they got a glimpse. And the glimpse that they received was good enough to sow seeds. I just wonder what kind of seeds God is inviting you and I to sow into this new year, into our lives, into the lives of others. The promise doesn't stop at Isaac. It actually moves on to Jacob as well. And this is the progression of things as the promise moves on just a few chapters later. In chapter 28, God is now talking with Jacob and he's actually doing so in a dream. This is what God says. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord. The God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. You see, the Israelites, they're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to experiencing this nugget of truth. When God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. It's true. Maybe today you're having trouble believing that. You feel like he's spoken some things over your life, but you just haven't. You haven't seen them happen yet. You haven't seen them come to pass yet. And you're trying to figure out the balance between being excited about seeing it happen and starting to question whether it will. I promise you one thing, God will keep his promises. He does it. He did it in the life of Abraham. He said it again in the life of Isaac. He did it in the life of Jacob. And believe it or not, then comes Joshua chapter 5. One of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. Joshua chapter 5 is one of my favorites. 
Joshua is the one who leads the Israelites into the promised land, finally. Part of the promised land is a land called Canaan. And you'll need to know that because of the verse I read right now. In verse 12, no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land. Manna was bread from heaven that God gave to sustain his people. But apparently, according to scripture, there was no longer a need for that. And it was never seen again, the Bible says. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan because they finally made it to where God had promised. That's the God we serve. He'll use person after person after person after person to sow seeds if they would be willing to so that those seeds can eventually produce some beautiful, amazing fruit even if it's in the life of someone else. And we are the people, for whatever reason, sinful as we may be, that God has called and desired day after day, moment after moment to use to do that very thing. It's, it's profound. It's crazy. But it's a blessing. Maybe you've spent some time already over the course of the last 24 hours going down memory lane in your own life. You've hit the highlights of even last year, but maybe you've also experienced some lows. You've seen the things that don't make you feel too good inside. The moments in last year where maybe you even questioned, God, where are you? I don't feel you like I felt you yesterday or in the last season. Maybe you've gone through all that, and I bet what you will see if you do is that similar to the Israelites, there was no way out of that season, out of that scenario, out of that addiction, out of that sinful habitual lifestyle. There was no way, but for whatever reason, God made a way. That's what he did in the life of his people. That's what he continues to do in the life of his people. And so if that's you today and you feel like there's no way out of where I'm at right now, I promise you the first step you've already taken, and it's setting foot inside God's house. You're here. God's here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I believe it to be true. It could be true for you today. So we've got a lot of things to celebrate. We've also got a lot of things to grieve, if I had to take a guess. You know, maybe there's some loss. We have to remember to grieve because maybe we've experienced some pain this past year. If you're like me, you have a tendency to experience pain, something that doesn't feel too good, and then basically run the other way. And just run as fast into whatever the next day holds that you try to escape it. I remember when I did this, I was in college at CIU and I, I had a friend back then commit suicide. It was, it was a crazy sequence of events. I, I've never had to deal with anything like that before. And what did I do? I tried to just keep going, just keep going. One day you'll wake up and it'll all be okay. It'll all be good. Until I hit about two, three weeks down the road and I started to realize that the one the first thing every single day that tried to take my happiness and even joy away started to succeed. And I wasn't myself. My friends even knew, Bryce, you're not yourself. You're usually talkative, you're not talkative. Little things like that began to, began to come to the surface. So I went to counseling on campus, and I'll never forget four, four sessions in, four weeks into this thing, the counselor asked me a random question, do you have anything that you just haven't grieved? Do you have anything you haven't processed through? You haven't mourned? Do you have a loss of some kind that you've recently experienced? And everything came to the surface finally. And I found the secret sauce, if you will, that whatever we choose not to mourn, we will never be able to move forward from, truly. Jesus talks about this concept in Matthew 5. In the New Testament, he's giving what's called the Beatitudes, as many theologians will call them. And one of these statements from Jesus sounds like this. God blesses those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Now, that's a really hard verse for me to understand. I don't know if you can relate with that. Because sometimes when I'm mourning, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It doesn't feel very comforting, you know? We cannot move forward from that which we choose not to mourn, to take time and actually grieve well. I have found in my short experience of doing this that the blessing in the morning is the comfort that comes only from God. This is a concept that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same kind of comfort that God has given us. I wonder if you've ever heard some of these grief cliches because it's easy to read that verse. It's easy to read the one from Jesus. It's easy to hear this part of the sermon and then still have people in our lives that will say things to try to just help us get over the grieving. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if you've heard these grief cliches before. Men don't cry. That's a pretty good one. You have to be strong for the kids. No sense dwelling on the past. If you had only been a better Christian, maybe this wouldn't have happened. How about this one? God never gives us more than we can handle. You see, there might be an element of truth in a lot of those statements, but ultimately, they're, they're just not very helpful or in the middle of a season of grief and mourning. And the reason they're not helpful, I think, is because the grief process was never meant to produce comfort and fruit just from words. It's always been about action. And that's probably why God says in the verse we just read that uh, he will be the one comforting us. He will comfort. We will be comforted. That implies that God is moving close to those who are in mourning, who are currently grieving. He is seeking to be the comforter in their lives. And Paul would argue that we are then called to go out and do likewise. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the story of Job. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites because Job has everything, and then he loses basically everything. He's left with his wife, and even his wife says, you need to just curse God and die. Like, there's no point of even continuing with this whole faith thing that you have. He responds in a powerful way. He still trusts God to be faithful. And then his three friends, as he's entering into the grieving process of everything he's just lost, his three best friends come onto the scene with him. And what do they do first? They sit with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. I have never sat in silence for 10 minutes. I mean, in my life, I tried it one time in college. I, I, true story. I went to my room where I was the only roommate in that room, okay? And I had hung out with people and chatted like the whole day. I was drained. I felt like I was drained. I laid on my couch in my room and I counted to 10 in my head. And I said, this is not worth my time. I could be out there. I could be talking to people. I could be preaching to people. I mean, all these things. But I think God might be calling some of us to be a grief advocate, if I could, to someone in our life as this new year rolls around. You see, just because we celebrate a ball drop on New Year's Eve into a new year and we start to write something different on the dates that we write when we write a check does not take away things that are painful. The only way that we can move forward from those things is if we truly learn to grieve well. There's one more point I'd love to give you today. And that is that we have to remember 
to remind ourselves. We have to remember to remind ourselves. You see, when the Israelites, they finally got to the point, like we read earlier, where they entered into the promised land, it was interesting how Joshua and even God to Joshua responded to that entrance. There were a number of things they could have done. They could have thrown a party. They could have had a very celebratory moment. But even before any of that got started, God says something really powerful to Joshua in chapter 4. He says, starting in verse 5, God told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. That's 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Because in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Why are they here? And then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. You see, the first thing that God wants his people to do is set up reminders so that in the hardest seasons of their life in the future, they would be reminded God will still be faithful. He's still the God that he was when it was all good. He's still the God that saw me through. He's the God who parted the Red Sea, stopped the Jordan River as only he could have so that we could get to this point that he promised hundreds of years ago. And if he could do all that and we believe the Bible's true, I'm pretty confident that he can do anything and everything that he's promised and spoken over our lives. He'll do it. He can do it. That's the God we serve, but we have to play a role in the process. And the role God desires we play is to merely set up reminders for ourselves of the times when he was faithful. So that's a question we have to wrestle with today. How, how can we remind ourselves this year of what God's done over the last 365 days? My family and I are starting something new this year. We have a good things jar. And essentially what we're doing is every time something good happens during the course of this year, we're dropping it in the jar. So that at the end of the year, come December 31st of this year, we can read those things. And we will be reminded, I promise you, of God's goodness of God's faithfulness, moving into whatever he's got next. That's the challenge for folks like you and I today. If we want to deepen our faith this year, I truly think it begins by reminding ourselves daily of what he's already done, of where he's already brought us through. John Piper, a well-known pastor, he says it this way, I want you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's a powerful thing if we do it. And if you're interested to know what God has already done for humanity. Maybe in this moment it's hard to look back on just the last year and you're, you're, you're beginning to look back on your whole life and you're looking to scripture, even like stories like we've told today of what God's done for humanity. Here's a brief summarized list for you. He created us. He watched us disobey him. He witnessed the weight of our sin and so he joined us on this earth. He then rescued us from spiritual death because of a cross like that one and he gave us entrance into eternal life with him because of the resurrection. That's powerful. That's the same God that we serve today. Maybe you feel far away from him. And you want those stories. You want those stories of God's faithfulness. You, you want him to rewrite your story today. It can happen. The good news of Jesus Christ can change everything today. It can change your story forever. It can change the game completely. And what better day to do that and to make that decision than a fresh start type of day? The first day of the entire year 
in this place, God's house. Whether you're watching here in person, whether you're tuning in online all across this globe, or even close here in Lexington. That's the decision that in some sense I think God wants us to make today. How are we to remind ourselves of his goodness? Do we need to enter into a personal walk with him first? Do we need to rededicate our lives to him this year? Because for the last couple months at least we've gone astray. And we've been playing the church game that I've played too many times. What is it that God's calling us to remember today? That's the question I want to leave you with. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that when we give up on you and we doubt you and we no longer trust you in different seasons of our life, you're still faithful to us. And truly, we can never repay you for that. But we give you all that we can bring, and that is ourselves in this very moment, even with our sin and brokenness. And we ask you to restore us by helping us remember just how good you are. Father, would you remind us of the times over the the, the course of the last year of how you've shown up in a powerful way Would you point out the things in our life that we simply have not grieved? And I pray that we'd be willing to do so alongside the Holy Spirit, our true comforter, as Jesus says. Father, would you help us set up reminders day in and day out for your goodness and faithfulness to us as this new year gets kicked off. We are believing that the best is yet to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.